Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey. And we are qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. Yeah, we're going to talk about our favourite people, places and events uh, with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our website guideemily.com and alexlacy.com uh, and you'll find information about our upcoming walking tours and virtual tours as well as what the blue badge guiding qualification is all about so welcome uh to this week's episode yes, thank you for joining episode us six can you believe i know and and tier two has slightly put a dampener on our plans because we're now no longer allowed to meet in emily's lovely apartment no. to record our podcast so Apparently, we're doing this over zoom looking at each other over our laptops which is a little bit strange but I think it's going to work it's probably better for you I, I, I'm not uh, I'm not the most <laughs> delightful today so well, I would still like to touch you Alex I mean we usually play a little oh, bit of footsie under the table fair enough fair enough I, I, I do get very excited by that anyway uh, <laughs> thank you all for coming back for another episode of uh, Ladies Who London um we're thrilled that you're back and again we had some fantastic emails and in, in particular one email from so about our um our lovely jingle which is done Ooh. by Ben Morales Frost and I had an email from Lisa Goldberg who says she loves it and thank you Ben so that's really lovely thank oh, you so thank much you, and I had a few texts saying saying that they really enjoyed the jingle so yay we're thrilled hurrah Good. So, um, last week, where did we leave it? We had an episode on, uh, it was your episode, wasn't it? Yes, so we spoke about a memorial which dedicated the lovely Salter family who did wonderful things in the area of Bermondsey in Rotherhive in the late 18, early 1900s. Yeah, it was really lovely and I, I knew a little bit about them but not, not that much so it was really nice to delve a little bit deeper and I love that sculpture and you, you did put a picture on Instagram um, to show people what, uh, I think a little video yeah. actually, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, a little video and a picture. So uh, yeah, if you want to have a, a look at what that statue looked like then um, have a little look at uh, the Instagram page which is at Ladies Who London Podcast. I got that wrong earlier. Emily always gets yes, the email wrong. I get, I, get, I get the Instagram wrong. Um, so we had our um, 
podcast pedestal options at the end of the last episode. And uh, I mean, to be fair, you stitched me up an absolute rotter on that one. Oh, no, I mean, I think you chose a good one, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> it goes my way this week, but I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. But what did we choose? What did we choose? So I went for Bermondsey which was the area that uh, the Salters were living in. It was the whole sort of reason for them being there, really. The, the slums, the people, and the fact that when it came back to replacing the statue, that Bermondsey stumped up the cash, which I think is a really lovely sort of, you know, cycle, uh, circle of life, if you like. Circle of life. Yes, <laughs> but I really went fun. for uh, free healthcare. I mean, um, you properly stitched me up there. <laughs> Who doesn't love a bit of free healthcare? <laughs> um, but you're going to tell us the results now. Which I am. So currently, uh, not that we were at all competitive, but we are 2-1 to me in I the, know, uh, in which the is podcast pedestal stakes. <laughs> really annoyed about uh, sorry, it. Sorry, not sorry. So... Um, <laughs> We've had quite a lot of votes for this one. And uh, I mean, you know, it, it's probably it will come as no surprise to anybody that I won again. No, I'm joking. I didn't. I didn't. You won. What did I mean? Won. Yes. Bring it back. Bring it back. So Bermondsey had 38 oh. votes and Free Healthcare had 68. Oh, so it was yeah. an absolute whitewash. Um, oh, but I love that some of you supported me on Bermondsey. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic news. So is that 2-2? Two, two? That two is two all. all, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Oh, that has made neck. my day. That's fantastic news. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> yeah, so we are neck and neck. Um, winning on free healthcare. I, mean, I kind of feel like she phoned that one in, but still, it's okay. <laughs> come on, come on. Let it go. <laughs> but it was a fab story. So, um, yeah. And then you, uh, Wheelkeeper Supremo. Yes, span the Wheel of Destiny. Yep. And it landed um, in Westminster. And this is my pick this week. Um, and it's something that, so when it landed in Westminster, um, I mean, there literally is just myriad options to pick from. You've got so much. I mean, Westminster is, you know, the political, royal, social heart of London. So um, we, we could have gone a million different ways. But um, because it is Black History Month, well, not just because it's Black History Month, um, I... Uh, I really like talking about black history because I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that black history is just history, but until it is sort of becomes mainstream uh, to include it in history, it has to be siphoned off as its own thing to kind of, you know, be able to, uh, to have an audience and to be talked about. So um, I've gone for black history. Um, and I, there was a few people that I, wanted to look at and last week I I kind of thought oh there's so many and so I, I sort of said slightly vaguely I'm going to look at uh, a few black characters who are linked to Westminster um, and I've nailed it down this week um, to and this is slightly vague but I'm gonna say black buskers okay this is Ooh, a bit okay. weird but um, we're gonna go back into uh, the 17 and 1800s to talk about three people who were very very visible uh, on London streets and were actually kind of sort of famous in their own time if you like um, but they were buskers they were not people who are you know normally have pictures of them or, or sort of go down in the annals of history but they were very big part of the social tapestry of London. Mm, I like I'm a little the sound bit, of this Alex I like the sound of this. Good. I'm being a bit vague with the Westminster thing. I'm starting out with someone who was seen around Westminster and then I'm bringing in two other chaps who one was close to Westminster and one wasn't. So I'm just, I'm just going okay. with it. We'll let you get um, away with it, don't worry. <laughs> because they go together really nicely. And there were a few yeah. people I wanted to talk about, um, but some I think actually deserve their own um, 
episode in a, in a future podcast for, for the whole thing to be on them so that's where we're going to go but I want to talk about so now I don't know um are you into sort of tv and movies do you watch any oh actually I should tell you I did try to watch the bounty the other week that you told oh, me to watch did you try to what happened no shut up halfway through hated it what did you oh my gosh Alex <laughs> sorry <laughs> oh that's really upsetting I loved it Oh, well, we were, oh, we were, oh, there yeah. There you go. Oh. But, <laughs> so TV, well. TV and film. So you're asking me if I, if I'm into TV and film in general? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Oh. More so film. I don't really watch TV much apart from the odd episode of Bake Off, but, but um, yeah. More um, so film. And as a guide, we're both sort of, we have to kind of watch the historical stuff, don't we as well? We have to watch. Yes. A lot of documentaries. Yes, um, well, documentaries, but also the historical films, because when they come out, often our guests have seen them and they want to know, you know, are they true to real life? Are they kind of, you know, uh, based on anything in particular? Um, which I think is quite interesting that, that, you know, I think the more people that learn about history through film is, is great. Um, well, the reason I ask is because um, there is one chap who I'm going to start with who was seen around Westminster an awful lot, who does pop up in a few movies and TV shows. And he's always in the background. He's never a proper character in terms of not fleshed out, generally doesn't have a speaking role, but he does pop up in a variety of uh, productions. And the one that people may well have seen, uh, that's probably the most recent one, is Taboo with Tom Hardy. Oh. Watch that. No, I haven't, but I have heard of it's it. It's very good. It's, it's on the iPlayer at the minute. I'd, I'd give it a go. It's, it's very, very good. Quite violent in places. Okay. Um, but the reason I'm, I'm mentioning this is because in one of the episodes, they are down by the docks and there is a chap uh, who is entertaining the children with a hat with a ship on the top of it. And this is the guy I'm going to talk about. He's a guy called Joseph Johnson, and he was around uh, from sort of 1766 to about 1833. And I kind of love that he's made his way into films and TV because there's not anything really written about him, but he is, if you look where, if you know where to look in the history books, he does pop up in terms of people mentioning him because he was such a big character around mm. uh, Westminster and around the West End. Um, now, if you can kind of imagine this, this tall, lean chap, and again, we'll put some pictures on uh, Instagram. Um, and he had a, this, this hat on top of which was this absolutely enormous ship. And it was a replica of one of the actual uh, naval ships at the time. Oh uh, it was the HMS Nelson. So it's, like a, it's a proper... What kind of uh, material are we talking about? Was it made out I don't, of... To be honest, I don't know, but I suspect it was sort of wood and, and, and some kind of material because it had oh, sails wow. and rigging and, you know, it was a proper... It wasn't sort of some paper, uh, you know, ship that had been folded up and chucked on the top of his hat. No, it was... It was, it was a, a proper HMS. It, yeah. Wow. And so is this something that he wore in his day-to-day life or just for that particular movie? Oh, no, no. In his day-to-day life. In his day-to-day life. So this life. is why the movie brought him in as that, because this is what he was known for. So he, he actually started out as a sailor. Um, and th- the thing with sailors is that there are so many, you know, it's a quite a dangerous job. It's the sort of job that was for... Um, the lower classes people would often you know that would be a great lifeline for them is to go into the navy or into the merchant navy and you know you get pay you get bored you get food so often people who um, don't really have any other options that would be an option for them and and that's what he did he went in as a, a sailor um but he was merchant navy 
Mm. Now, um, you and I both live near Greenwich and on Global Tea Break, I talked about Greenwich a little bit. There's a huge building down there, which was the Royal Naval Hospital. And this was set up for ex-Navy when they came out of the service and they were too old or too injured to be able to support themselves. They could go there Mm -hmm. and they could live there. They were put up. They were fed. Well, Joseph Johnson couldn't because he was Merchant Navy. So the Merchant Navy didn't get a look in on that. So if you came off the Merchant Navy and you were too old or too injured or infirm or whatever it might be, you just had to go and sort yourself out. That was well, it. There was nothing for them at all. That's terrible, no. isn't it? Yeah, it's really, really terrible. And especially given how instrumental they were in, you know, in, in the shipping of everything. It's, if they weren't doing that job, we wouldn't, you know, we're an island. We don't get all the stuff that we need. Yeah. So that was one of the only professions as well that was open to Black Britons at the time. Um, but he ended up, uh, getting some injuries from his time, which is totally, um, uh, you know, something that would happen regularly. You've got it's very dangerous. You know, in the rigging, people could fall, people could lose limbs. There's all sorts of stuff going on. You know, ropes moving pretty quickly, um, and so he had an injury, which meant that he then was, uh, you know, had to leave the merchant navy. And because there was no support for him, he started working as a street performer. And uh-huh. so what he would do, I mean, he's such a great guy, honestly. Yeah. I, 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 the, the, I'd love to have met him. The sense I get from him, from everything I've read, is that he was pretty cheery. He was pretty friendly. He was a lovely guy to be around. Mm. Um, and he, in order to support himself, he started singing on the streets. And then he, he made this hat with this huge HMS Nelson on it. Gosh. And when he was given money, what he would do is he'd kind of bow his head and, and bob it and make it look like the movement of the ocean. So it would sort of oh. bob along. And he'd also go past the pubs and sort of bend down so that the hat was at the level of the windows. And oh, they kind of so make it sail past. <laughs> Love that. Can you imagine just tucking into your Sunday roast? And see, well, you probably wouldn't back then, but seeing this boat bobbling up and down. It's brilliant. Wow. It's, and it's then, so theatrical. It is. And, and, and the great thing was he was doing this around Westminster. He's doing this around the West End, um, which is obviously just up the, up the, up the road from Westminster. And um, he, he didn't it, tie himself just to London. He would head off into the villages as well. And he'd hitch a ride with some kind of kind hearted wagoner who was heading off that way. Mm. And it was said that he was such a kind of um, an engaging and lovely character that at the end of his journey, bearing in mind that he has hitched a free ride from this guy, they would end up giving him a couple of coins because they'd enjoyed his company so much. Wow. What a blagger. What God. a blagger. And did you say that he had an instrument or was he was he just singing? No, he didn't have an instrument. He ha- he was just singing and, and then he had the hat. And the hat was really the thing that, that people noticed him for more than more than the singing, really, because there were so many people singing yeah. that this amazing hat was was the thing, and you'd know that that was Joseph Johnson. Yes. Um and what's really interesting is that back in, in, in that period of time, um, we are just post the French Revolution. So there is this awareness, and I love this, with the upper classes about what happens if you don't appease the poor. So don't, you know, push them away. No. Give them some money, you know, tell them how yeah. amazing they are. Give Be them a open about it. Make sure everybody knows how good you're doing. Exactly. Because otherwise they can bite back. And we've seen that in the yeah. French Revolution. So you have to be, you know, they can turn, they can turn. Um, and so they were, you know, street performers and beggars were considered a nuisance, but they're also really admired for their creativity and their theatricality. And that is what Joseph Johnson was known for. And he was, he was known on the streets for many, many years. Um, and so much so that he's kind of gone down in this, in this social law of, of London, which I think is really fun. So the fact that he turns up and I, I got really excited when I saw it. And thanks to my colleague, Angela Morgan, because I'd forgotten about it and she reminded me that um, he was on there 
but the first time I saw it, I was so excited. It's like, oh, it's Joseph Johnson. Like yeah. nobody would know. You know, he's not, not many people now know his name. So you just think, oh, there's a guy with a ship on his head. But mm. for someone who's who's done you know, walks on, on black history and all that kind of thing. I was so excited to see that he was there. And I thought that was a really good move by the, um, uh, the, the production and you know, showed that they'd really researched it as well to see who was around at the time and involve a character. And he was literally on screen for, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds. He had no lines. He was just there. And it was just, he was almost like set dressing, but it was perfect because that's exactly mm. who he was. He was there. He was a, a staple in London life and they included him for no other reason than it w- he was there. I love, I love that. I absolutely adore that. And in terms of his songs, do you know if he was singing his own songs or singing songs that people would know? I don't know. I suspect it would be songs that people would know. Probably the kind of music hall stuff that was very popular. You know, you'd have all the different songs that people would go along and enjoy at the music halls. And it's probably going to be something like that. I've not found any particular um, information about what he would sing. Um, so, yeah, things that people would know almost certainly mm. because then that will, you know, endear you. Well, to I guess. People. As you say, it's not. It, it's more about the performance of him wearing the yeah. hat and his jolliness. I guess it didn't really matter what yeah. he was singing. And I wonder if, when he was um, in the Merchant Navy, whether there was these low moments, and you know, for whatever reason, people were quite low, or you know, something bad had happened, and he would cheer everybody up and just start, just start it's, singing. Yeah. It's lovely to think about that. And it's lovely to think about them as, as, as a person and, and you know, yeah. what they were like. And, and, and rather than just sort of, you know, a fairly 2D character, it's lovely to think about mm. him. And, and he obviously had a flair for entertainment. And yeah, I mean, I love that idea that he's maybe on the ships with people and kind of, come on, chaps, let's, you know, yeah, chivvy along and, and all that sort of thing, which I think is fab. Definitely. And so there's another chap I want to talk about as well, who was also a busker, a guy called Billy Waters. Um, And Billy Waters, again, was really well known on the streets of London, but particularly uh, in the West End. So we're going slightly out of Westminster. Please forgive me. (laughs) I'm cheating slightly, but that's okay. Um, And he would be found generally outside the Adelphi Theatre, which is on the Strand. Mm -hmm. Um, And he used to play the violin uh, to entertain theatre goers in exchange for money and again like Joseph Johnson he was also he had been in the navy um and this is one where he his injury was very very obvious he had fallen from the rigging and had lost a leg when he'd done that oh. uh, so I mentioned earlier that, that was an option so that, yeah that that it's incredibly dangerous you know you, you you fall I mean even if you're falling from the rigging you well if it's from a great height that's not great but you know if you catch your your ankle in in the rigging it's gonna just take your leg off or your arm oh, off or whatever it definitely. might be so really really dangerous mm. and so his disability was very noticeable and he had um he, he kind of he, he sort of lent into it a little bit he wore a naval uniform uh he had a peg leg he had a feathered hat and he carried his violin wow. so he's quite yummy <laughs> quite an again image, quite a character quite a character um and he yeah he was so again he because he had this sort of very flamboyant um look people would recognize him so it I think it's really interesting. And there were probably myriad buskers um, and street performers who we don't know about because they were more sort of run of the mill. Mm-hmm. Um, but these two in particular, they were so well known because they had sort of been very creative in, in making themselves uh, quite unique. Mm. And um, he had, so he would, he would play his violin and he, you know, sort of dance on his peg leg and all that kind of thing. And when I say peg leg, I mean, I literally, I do mean a peg leg. It's, it is a, you know, a, a bit of wood. Yes. There's no kind of, pretense of a, a foot at the end there's no sort of you know um hinging of joints it literally is a, a bit a of wood wooden he, peg yeah 
it's, it's as simple as that. Um, and he actually had a, a family to support. He had a wife and two children. And amazingly, he managed to do that through being a sort of, if you like, a famous beggar. Which oh. is quite bizarre. And he, he probably wouldn't have earned vast amounts, but he managed to support them. Um, and his what they call they used to call it say he had these peculiar antics so i don't know exactly what he would be doing other than playing the violin and just sort of dancing around but that would if he was doing that to any decent uh, level that would be quite engaging um and he became so famous that he was actually asked to appear on stage as <gasps> himself oh yeah in the adelphi or i don't know if it was in the adelphi it may well have been but he did appear on stage a couple of times um yeah basically as himself doing his act his thing Gosh, on stage fantastic as part of something else which is quite amazing really wow because i was um, going to say you know obviously today you need a license to perform on the streets back then you know if you just started kind of performing or singing was there a risk that you could potentially get told off get told to move on i mean i don't know i don't really think so back then um if you go back to the 17 and 1800s realistically um you you know this is the time when uh, the, this is sort of area, Covent Garden area, um, the West End, all of that area is, is a slum. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly busy. There's all sorts of people. You've got the gin craze going on. You've got the sex, um, Georgian sex trade as well going on. So it's very, very busy. And there's a lot more kind of nefarious things going on than there is some chap dancing. Yes. Um, and realistically, there, there's an element of, you know, everybody sort of going, just, just survive, survive. Yeah, and I guess so you don't have, I wouldn't have police so. on the streets until the 1830s anyway, so there's probably not that many people. Yeah. You know, with a, so with a watchful eye. Policing is minimal, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot more kind of, yeah, there's a lot of corruption, there's a lot of, um, you know, dodgy dealings, there's all sorts of stuff going on. So a chap with a violin trying to make a crust is probably not going to be that much of an issue, and also is going to be entertaining to people as well. Yes, exactly, and lift people's spirits, which, yeah. you know, would be heavily wanted. Uh, around there back then absolutely so. oh and there's, a, there's an extra bit to him as um as a, a busker he was towards the end of his life he was elected king of the beggars <gasps> king of brilliant. the beggars <laughs> wow so, what a title so we clearly, he, his, i mean he just he he was very well known to have his hat full of coins or just the way I, that the crowds yeah, were around him yeah, exactly. So if you imagine all these people, all these sort of well-to-do people going into the theatre at the mm. Adelphi, you've got this chap wandering around looking fabulous with this sort of plumed hat and this naval costume, dancing a jig and playing his violin. They're all going to be charmed by it. They're going to be entertained by it. And they're going to give him money. And that thing that I mentioned about them sort of appeasing the poor, mm-hmm. um, all of that's happening. But he wasn't actually elected King of the Beggars from them. He was elected King of the Beggars from uh, his other fellow buskers. Ah, from the other beggars. So they they voted him up there. Wow. So he must have been really, really well loved. And it, it, it sounds fantastic. There's this title of King of the Beggars and you kind of think, oh, he was on stage, he was doing really well. I mean, he was doing well, if you, you know, comparatively, let's say. But ultimately, it didn't really do that much for him. He, he as he grew older, um, he, you know, the, the act started to fail a bit. He didn't, you know, he had this family support and, and realistically, it didn't really he didn't make enough money to to survive ultimately okay. and he was so poor he had to sell his violin at the end oh, which is you know no, that is so sad <laughs> I, know. I know and he did actually say that he um if he could have he would have sold his wooden leg but he said it was worthless through years of wear oh. so it, it's really you know it's a bit of an ignominious end for and that's that that's the kind of thing that we see with people who are street performers and buskers there's an element of yeah 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 you're great um really enjoy you here 
but when I have to think about you as a person and worry about, you know, have you got food to put on your table? I'm not that bothered. I'm not going to do mm. anything about it. Mm. So whilst I might really enjoy your entertainment and give you a couple of coins, you know, if you come to me two weeks later and say, oh, you know me, uh, you know, you've seen me at the theatre. I really need this. I'm not going to care. Mm. You know, why would there be anything in? And, and this is where, you know, we see um, vast quantities of London's population being you know, living in really abject uh, poverty and, and workhouses and all this sort of thing. And actually, this is where um, Billy Waters does end up at St. Giles Workhouse. Uh, he ends up heading into the workhouse, which some of you might know that the workhouse, I mean, it's, it's a pretty awful place to be. Mm. It is your last resort. You know, people will do anything to avoid the workhouse because once you go in there, it's very hard to, I mean, you can't, you, you can physically leave, but it's very hard to because, you know, they feed you, they feed you terribly, but they feed you enough to survive and they make you work really long hours. And it's a pretty miserable existence. And the aim of the workhouse was not to, well, it was sort of to help people who had no other options, but it was also to kind of encourage you to go out and not be reliant on the state. So mm. they're not going to make it a nice place to be. They're going to make it so that you, you know, you go there and you think, oh, this is terrible. Right. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to get out. Mm. So, and, and unfortunately for Billy Waters, this is not what happens to him. Uh, he goes into St. Giles workhouse. He is ill. And so this is where he, you know, when he becomes ill, he can't work. It's very, you know, crucial. Yes. Uh, into the workhouse and he dies 10 days later in oh, 1823. Gosh. I was gonna say, do you know what kind of work he was doing? I guess it couldn't have been, uh, you know, heavy. Well, realistically, if you went into the, the workhouse and, and you were ill, they, you know, you wouldn't have to work. You would, you would be looked after until such time as, you know, you were able to, to kind of leave or whatever. So he wouldn't probably have had to, to work much, if at all. Um, you know, there was an element of if you're too sick to work, you're too sick to work. Yes. Um, and a lot of people did go into the, into the workhouse when they were really ill and, and, and never come out. You know, they would die there, um, mm. you know, sort of the last place to go, really. Um, and what's, what's interesting is that with Billy Waters, because he was such a, a popular character, there are paintings made of him, which is so unusual. You know, paintings are made of people who are um, rich, they're aristocratic, they pay for these things. Mm. But people who are on the streets don't normally get their portraits painted. Actually, interestingly, Joseph Johnson was also, he had a, his picture um, done twice, but it was not really the sort of uh, classic picture taking. It was for a book called Vagabondia. Vagabondia okay. was um, a sort of pamphlet book type thing that went around and it was lots of plates, so, so essentially pictures or, or graphics of um the people who were on the streets busking and doing all this kind of thing which is how we know about him mm. uh, and the third person we're going to talk about also uh, ended up in vagabondia as well i don't believe billy waters did um and they're often quite caricaturish pictures as well but this is sort of how we know about some of these people that were on the streets and weren't active part members of society that were not otherwise recorded um, wow. so he has so Joseph Johnson has that, but Billy Waters has an actual proper portrait painted of him. Um, and he was a bit of a famous figure. And even there are porcelain statues that you can still find, which are of Billy Waters. And he's there oh. with his hat and his violin and his peg leg. Um, and you can still find them. Were these made, these were made after he died? or during No, during his lifetime and after he died. A bit of both. Yeah, a bit of both. Wow. You can and still find them. Where, in terms of the portrait, is it in a gallery? Is it in, any, in someone's home? Yes, it is. It is actually in the National Portrait Gallery. Oh, oh gosh. I, I, well, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I need to get in there. I'd love to see it. I know. Um, I, think it's, I think it's shut for refurb at the minute, sadly. But um, yeah, his, his pictures are in there. Um, and actually one of his, the, the porcelain figures of him is in there as well. Um, so, you know, that's, that's how 
important he was and how famous he was really and there was a poem written about him as well after he died and it, it talked a bit about how the Adelphi would be poorer for him so the fact that he wasn't there mm. doing his entertainment in front of the Adelphi meant that you know it, it wasn't quite the experience it always used to be. Oh, but then you think, you know, the Adelphi must have heard that he had to, you know, they would have questioned, oh, where's he gone? You know, someone would have said, oh, he's given up his, his career on the streets. He's got to go to a workhouse and to not want to help him. But then, as you say, yeah, but- you know, it's... It's easy to say, but... He's not their concern. They've, no. got, they've got their own concerns. They've got their, you know, theatres would have not been... I mean, theatres are never particularly wealthy. They, they tend to run on, you know, mm. fairly high costs and, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, you know, they've got other things to worry about. Yeah, They're not going to worry true. about some guy who stood out front of their... In front of their, uh, their theatre. People are coming to the theatre anyway. They're not, mm. they're not coming because of... Well, they might have you know, they might have come to see him, but they wouldn't be coming to the theatre because of him. Because of him. They'd be looking forward to seeing him when they went. But, you know, they, they it's a period of time where people, you know, it's about survival. Mm. You don't, unless you've got vast oodles of wealth, you're not kind of being philanthropic and giving it out and helping out the people. Um, so, you know, really sad, but a really interesting yeah. chap, Billy Waters. Yeah. yeah, really interesting. I wonder what happened to his family. Oh, do you know I'd love to know I'd love mm. to know and this is the kind of thing that you don't really get um sort of reported because you know he's barely reported why would they report yes. his family yes exactly and That's my lovely. my third person I want to chat about who I'm massively cheating now because <laughs> I'm heading off down into the city of London what? together in, I know I know like a whole bus I'm, ride I'm, away Alex <laughs> That's on the other side of the wheel <laughs> but J- Joseph Johnson He's based in Westminster, and I'm just extrapolating this topic. Okay, all right. We'll let you off this time, but <laughs> you're next. So the, the last person is a chap called Charles McGee, or possibly Charles McKay. Okay. Uh, there are a couple of, um, you know, different sources uh, to exactly what his name was. And he was a street sweeper at Ludgate Hill. Now, if anyone knows London, you'll know that you come up Fleet Street, uh, and as you come up Fleet Street, you're looking up towards St Paul's Cathedral, and there's a road that crosses over, and that section, that intersection there, is Ludgate Hill. Um, and what used to happen is that Charles would have, and there was an obelisk that stood uh, at the corner there on the south side, um, the southeast side of the, of the uh, crossroads, and... Um, his job he was a street sweeper now street sweeping is not what we think it is today so street sweeping today would be literally sweeping and getting all the rubbish off the streets but it's different back then because this is pre the era when uh streets have been paid so well some are but but the majority aren't Mm. and um it's not to keep the street clean but what it is is to brush the mud over the road so that carriages as they came down the road if they if the mud wasn't brushed back then they would you'd end up with massive ruts and it would become really unsafe for the carriages so especially at a big intersection you needed to keep that uh, sorted so that's what he would do um these streets were kind of largely uncared for it's only really charles who's sort of making it uh, a made road and somewhere that is able to to you know to be passed easily mm. um and often people would throw you know slops and toilets and you know like chamber pot Con, you know that contents into the street so it's not just mud it's all sorts of other delicious all stuff sorts as well. of delightful things all the lovely things um mm. and what charles would do is in the day he would do that he would um, sweep the streets but at night he would carry baskets of fruit and nuts and things like like this around to places of entertainment so come down towards the west end so there we go oh. going, coming back towards west yeah, coming back to west <laughs> so he's sort of you know he's he's doubling up his his work really um he's carrying his, people know when everyone's going to the theatre there is ready money to be made as we've seen with the other two so Charles is the same he's carrying fruit and nuts around and then selling it on to the people going to the theatre 
um, or the music halls or whatever it might be. And he was known on these streets for about 40 years. He was there for an awfully long time. And again, quite an interesting look to him. He had this um, shock of white hair. He had one eye and he used to wear a red <gasps> bandana around his neck. Oh, <laughs> I was not expecting that. One <laughs> yeah. eye, one eye and a bandana. And wow. this sort of mass kind of white hair, which I think is, is again, it's this thing about being somebody being really uh, as, as noticeable as they can be in a time when uh, poor people, particularly people of colour, were very sort of easy to not notice, if that mm. makes sense. Mm. So these all three of these chaps, what they've got in, in common is that they... Their, their look was very unique so people mm. would notice them and there was even a, a music hall song called old bill the crossing sweeper oh. so you know he's famous enough or well i say famous have a well known as a as a regular fixture enough to be used in a uh, in a music hall song and the reason we know about him is because he kept being painted into the street scenes as they were painted mm. because he's been there for so long he is almost like like a piece of the furniture so there are a couple of pictures of um, a view down to St Paul's Cathedral from Fleet Street and on the right hand side you can see the obelisk and you can see Charles standing by the obelisk he's not a major part of the picture he is one of the sort of you know if you imagine it's a landscape picture and there are people in the picture small images he is one of them so they haven't just painted random people they've actually painted painted you know Charles yeah. And there is one painting which was done in 1812 and um, one, somebody at some point has come along and scratched the surface of the paint to make him white. So they're obviously uncomfortable with his presence there. Uh, so they've kind of come along and tried to you know, physically remove his colour from the painting. Um, but, but other than that, generally, you know, he was, he was known. He was the guy who was there for over 40 years. And like Joseph Johnson, he appeared in this uh, Vagabondia, hmm. this pamphlet, and it was um, the first kind of detailed portrait of him but it was quite caricaturish like Joseph Johnson's as well so there were two pictures that we know of of um Charles the Vagabondia one's quite caricaturish there is another one that is much more sort of respectful and representative I would say okay um and in both he's standing in front of the obelisk so his his you know his spot if you like wow is he holding his fruit and nuts <laughs> what a question <laughs> <laughs> answer that delicately no no i don't think he is um, well, not. i his... asked because i just you know in terms of him selling his fruit and nuts yeah. i number one wonder where he got them from and number two were they kind of in a box did he sell them in little bags he'd been in a basket they'd been just gone basket. around with the basket and people would just buy them from that but that's not the bit that he's most known for he's most known for his job as the street sweeper because he's you know he's in one place people mm. anybody coming on this major thoroughfare are going to see him they're going to know him they're going to see him street sweeping and if they're coming here for 10 20 30 years he's still there yeah. so they're going to know him from that the, the, the you know the nuts and fruit are, are, are very much kind of like a, a sideline if you like a bit of moonlighting no but i just think it's really sweet that he would <laughs> go know. off and buy his fruit and nuts and then try and sell them on um, well now yes, so I mean, this is this is where we come to you know you said how how did he buy them well he would have bought them just at the normal markets mm. and this is where we come to uh, a part of his story that's really really interesting because um there was a chap the, in fact the chap who painted the portrait of him in vagabondia claimed that charles was secretly wealthy oh. and this is we, we don't know how he he comes to think about this um we don't know where he gets his information from and you know if you were to look at charles he's a street sweeper he's you know going to be muddy or dirty most of the time he's got this sort of you know this bandana around his neck he's on the streets you're going to look at him and think oh he hasn't got any money of course he's not hmm. but we don't know too much about 
his history other than kind of what you know his job and what he did he died aged 87 and there was a lady who uh lived now there's a couple of different reports about exactly who she was she might have been uh, a lady who owned her own shop or she might have been the daughter of um, a wealthy draper who lived nearby and, and basically charles was sort of stationed in front of this draper's shop uh, just at the top of fleet street and so i whichever way she is she's either the the daughter or she's um, an independent store owner um but she would look out her window at him. She would get people to send him down uh, a warm drink or some food in the winter. She'd go past him. She'd, you know, chat to him. She'd give him some pennies, give him a smile, you know, kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah. And when he dies, he leaves everything that he has to her. Now, wow. what he's leaving to her is, and again, reports vary, is either £700 or £7,000. Now, oh. that's in old money so if it was 700 pounds that equates to about forty-five thousand pounds today oh crikey seven thousand pounds then it's about half a million pounds what <gasps> maybe he just so whichever really way loves you swing it sweeping the streets maybe whichever just the idea it, of being money. outside and you know maybe. they could have been like i guess maybe in his childhood home um, I don't know, he would always see his parents sweeping or there was something nostalgic about it. I love your, your, your sort of delving into the, the reasons behind it. I think it's fantastic. I think it's lovely. Uh, well, I guess, yeah, if it is true and he had that much money and he just wanted to sweep the streets and that connection with the woman, you know, obviously meant so much to him to give her all of his wealth. Yeah. Because he, he obviously hasn't been... got anybody else. He hasn't got any family by the sounds of it. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, whether or not he was wealthy when he started his career mm. as a street sweeper or whether he was doing very, very well at it and uh, amassed his wealth himself, we don't know. You know, maybe he inherited some money um, and, and that was the money that he had and sort of lived on. Uh, maybe he was so good at his job. Maybe he had other little moonlighting bits that we don't know about. Whatever it was, there's some claim to this secretly rich thing because yeah. whichever way you swing it even if it's forty-five thousand pounds that's a lot of money to leave someone and if it's half yeah. a million that's an incredibly huge oh. amount of money to leave someone gosh what a story alex that's brilliant know, it's, just, it's, the, it's the secrecy of it and the fact that we will never know we will never find out no, because these where are, that all, money came all three from. of these people are people who we only know about through virtue of um things like vagabondia or then popping up in little mm. texts or little images you know they're not people who were sat down and a biography was written about them mm. so there's only so much we're ever going to know about them but i love that that these sort of uh, you know normal people in society people of color as well mm. are are so kind of instrumental and you, you can just imagine that all these people going around the streets, uh, normal, you know, normal Londoners going around everywhere. And they, they know these people, they know these chaps because they are there. They are mm. an intrinsic part of society. Um, but we don't know about them generally, which I think is really no. fascinating. Oh, I would have loved to have lived around that time, you know, walking because Ludgate Hill, it is on a hill. So looking up to, towards it and up towards the yeah. falls and just seeing the back of his head, the white hair, yeah. And seeing him, you know, hunched over and just seeing him sweeping. It's that familiar, ar 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 I can never say this word. Familiarity. Yes. Sorry, everybody. It's how they're so um, familiar. <laughs> it's how they're so familiar. Um, that, you know, really kind of warms people's hearts, yeah. I guess. That's lovely. So there we go. So that is my little chat on, on black Londoners loosely oh, linked really to Westminster. Nice. <laughs> really nice, Alex. They're some of my favourites. And, and, you know, when I started learning about them a few years ago, it was just something that really captured my, my, in, you know, my, my 
the tension and my, mm. you know, curiosity because I just would love to know more about them. Mm. Would love to. Mm, me too. Yeah. So there we go. So if you are Lovely. watching Taboo, and even if you're not, just I'd say go to, I think it's episode six, there's a section where they're at the docks and you get to see Joseph Johnson. Oh, and they're so happy. Definitely so going to watch that. Definitely going to yeah. watch that. Um, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, Charles McGee will pop up in some TV show or movie that I haven't noticed. I'm sure he's there if anyone's done any research at all for some kind of, you know, Georgian, London-based movie that that yeah he would just be there in the background again i'd like to think that that the filmmakers and the tv uh, producers are so attuned to that they're going to do their research they're going to find out he's there he's a proper part of london society yeah, memorable part of that time yeah, yeah definitely so there we go Ooh, fantastic this week. great <laughs> so i guess now so. we need to pick our podcast pedestal person or thing Ooh, we do Ooh. this is gonna be tricky because of course we've got three different people yeah there's a lot and, a lot to go on here and a lot to unpick there and um yeah i, I don't know i don't what, what do you think i think i have i think i know what i'm going to i think out of the from. three stories the one that touched me the most i think has got to be the last one so i think that i'm going to go with the with the broom with his broom. Charles McGee's broom. Charles okay. McGee's broom. Yeah. Do you know, I'm finding this week really hard because I am so sort of in love with all three of these characters and I just suddenly I kind of don't want to pick. It's like picking a, pick a child. Um, so yeah, okay, Charles McGee's broom. I think that's a lovely one because yeah, you know, that is that is the basis of, of him and what he's known for and potentially the basis of his wealth as well. We don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just the rhythm of it, you know, how he how he felt about that broom and how, how many brooms he got through as well if he was doing it all his life. Or maybe it was the same broom. I wonder if he's like Trigger from, from I was just thinking that from Rainy Falls and Horses, yeah. <laughs> it is the same broom. It's had 14 heads and 12 handles. <laughs> oh, that's the Georgian Trigger. Charles yes, McGee. yes. <laughs> but yes, so I'm going to go for the broom. Fab. That's a really good choice. Um, I'm going to go back to Joseph Johnson and I'm going to go for, you probably can guess this, I'm going to go for his ship hat. Oh, his ship I hat. I just love it. I love it. It's the thing that, you know, that is all about him. And I, I, I love that it's such a, you know, you, it's such a sort of physical image. You can see mm. this ship. You can see him kind of bobbing along at the pub window. Um, and, and, yeah, if you, if you watch Taboo, you'll see him kind of doing this with the kids. He's sort of, you know, waving his head around to, to get the kind of flow of the ocean. I just love that idea. And I love that, you know, you'd see him coming down the street. And, and I love that I recognise him in things. I go, oh, it's Joseph Johnson. Mm. I love that. So for me, it's the ship's hat. Oh, I'm not surprised. It's such a happy image, isn't it? Yeah. That. yeah. Although the broom, the broom, guys. <laughs> I think this is going to be a tough one this week. I think this is going to yeah, be very, so. very tight. But three very, beautiful very stories, Alex. I really enjoyed Thanks. that. Yeah, me too. Right, so um, before we get to the Wheel of Destiny, uh, we're just going to let you know very quickly what we are up to as guides and what you can come and join in with uh, on our virtual tours and walking tours. So for me, this week, uh, on the weekend, I have um, two walking tours on Sunday. One is Slavery in the City, which is all about the transatlantic slave trade and the legacy of that in the city. And then in the afternoon, it's my my tour I absolutely love, which is Harlots and Boards. So it's about the Georgian sex trade. And then the following Sunday, I'm doing uh, Street Art. I'm doing the North 
route this time, um, which is going to be in the East End. And that's a, a walking tour, a physical walking tour. What have you got? Oh, and Halloween. Halloween um, virtual tour as well, uh, which is going to be great fun. I've got a one at five o'clock for the kids, one at eight o'clock for the full on gore fest for the adults. And if you sign up to my newsletter, there is a discount code. So it would be eight pounds instead of 10 pounds. So uh, you can find all of that on my website. What about Fantastic. you, Emily? What are you up to? Um, well, so I'm still promoting two of my virtual tours that I've got left before I launch some more. So on the 26th, I have my pub crawl along the River Thames. So excited about this virtual one. Virtual tour, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I have that at 7pm. And then also at 7pm on the 2nd of November, I've got my street art virtual tour. And you can book both of those via my website, which is guideemily.com. Hurrah! Fabulous. So come and join us. We've got loads yeah. of stuff going on. Um, also, given that it's now tier two in London, you can't mix indoors with other households. Virtual tours and walking tours are ideal because you're outside okay. or you're at home. Hooray! Hooray! On brand. Always be on brand. Yeah. <laughs> right. The Wheel of Destiny. Um, this week's Wheel of Destiny. Yes, well, unfortunately, we're not spinning the Wheel of Destiny this week, are we, Alex? We're, we're not, not, not unless you want to spin it just for yourself. To make well, yourself I might, happy. to be honest, I spin it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> just there, spinning the wheel. Um, yes, so but, we've decided this week we're not going to, because we're going to do something special, aren't we? Yes, we're going to do something spooky. <laughs> Have you got the wolves back? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, such a child. I love it. <laughs> so, yes, so we week. are diving into the subject of Halloween and we yeah. are going to be taking it in turns to, um, well, uh, tell you a little ghost story or a little gory story that's happened here in London. Oh, yeah. There are so, I mean, London is 2000 years of, of ghosts and ghouls and gory yeah. stories. So that's where we're going to go. And excitingly, next week, we're going to have our first prophet guest, aren't we? Yes, we are. Excited. Super excited. Not going to tell you who it is yet. You have to tune in next week to find out. But each one of us, all three of us, are going to be telling you a, uh, a ghoulish or gory story from London's history. Um, just in time for Halloween. So that one is going to be, we're not spinning the wheel, we're just going to do that. But we will spin the wheel next week. Will you let our, uh, our guests spin the wheel next week? Well, I, I don't know if I'll be able to because we'll be on Zoom. We will be on Zoom. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's such a shame. Well, you can spin it, you can spin it for I him. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that is uh next week's one so we thought we'd have a little bit of fun with some halloweeny stuff but we'll yeah. be back to the wheel of destiny uh the week after yes yes do you want to just spin it anyway just to see yeah let me just spin it. hang on a minute let me just go and get it i don't people, want people, people missing miss out the, missing miss the out. sound of the wheel <laughs> all right I've actually so here we go let's have it. right okay you ready, ready? yeah Oh, oh, I can't see it. Where would it have landed? Oh, Greenwich. Oh, oh, that's oh, I think I really want to do some Greenwich. Yeah, oh, okay. well, hopefully, we'll get that one back. Yeah. We'll see what it is next week. But that is it for this week. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, we will put up our polls on Instagram uh, for the podcast pedestal. So remember, it is for me. Um, it is the ship hat that Joseph Johnson used to wear. And for me, it's Charles McGee's broom. Yay. Yay! So those are your options. So we'll put the polls up on Instagram uh, over the week. Um, you can also email in if you missed the poll. That's not a problem. You can email us at... 
ladieswholondon at gmail.com hooray getting there finally and our Instagram is ladies uh, who London podcast yes so yes join us next week for a bit of Halloween Halloween (laughs) that's Emily being murdered (laughs) you dare touch me stand back Covid friendly that one. <laughs> so join us next week uh, for some fabulous Halloween fun. Indeed. And thank you so much to well a couple of people. Um, yep. Thank you to Ben for our jingle. Thank you Ben. You can find um, him at benfrostmusic.com. And also a big thank you to Susie. Yes, uh, Susie Riddell, who um, you might know as the voice of Tracy Horobin in The Archers. Uh, she is the one who did our Wheel of Destiny um, jingle. So thank you so much, Susie and Ben. I really appreciate it. Um, just calling in all the favours from my mates who know how to do stuff now. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and we'll see you next week uh, for more fun. Bye. Take care.